Tonight, continuing our Simply the Savior series, our journey through the Gospels with Jesus and the disciples, we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, a whole bunch of parables, something like 20-something of them now. And tonight, continuing really from our passage last week in chapter 11, but the horrors of hypocrisy. And before we get into the word tonight, I've shared with you before, and especially if you've been here Sunday mornings, because as we look at Jesus, one of the things that troubles me deeply as a pastor is when people who profess the name of the Lord, who claim to be Christians, who act one way on Sunday or Sunday night or Thursday or at men's study or at ladies' study or when they're around Christians and when they're not, they're somebody else. And Jesus, as we get into chapter 12, the, the first dozen verses there, addresses something that I think is so critical for us as people, and I'll use myself as an example. This morning, I can tell you that I don't like even having to pray for some of the things that are going on in our country because they're volatile. There, there's great risk to even mention them because there's such a, a, a broad ability for us to understand and know between our life experience and the place we are with the Lord and all the things that, that we could perhaps talk about as brothers and sisters if we we're sitting with each other and, and we begin to have a dialogue. It can go a lot of different ways. But the other extreme is that we don't live out our lives for the Lord with power and with passion, with purpose, and we start fearing what people will think and what people will say and what people might do, and then we stop speaking the truth in love. And Jesus is now going to address something that we commonly know as hypocrisy. He's going to call it that. But it's really having a duplicitous character. It's being one thing on Sunday and another thing on Monday. It's saying one thing in the companionship of people who also know the Lord and another thing when you're at the movie theater or when you're in the grocery store. And I really believe that if we as the body of Christ can grab, grab this, lay hold of it, and then live it, I think it actually is the answer to some of the things that we struggle with in our world. Because one of the chief reasons that I hear people say to me as a pastor that, that they really don't want to have anything to do with church is hypocrisy. The church teaches that a man and a woman is supposed to be forever but the practicality is a lot of Christian marriages, almost as many as non-Christian marriages end in divorce. But Christians say that you ought to live 
your life righteously, but the language they use at the ball game is the same as the guy that's sitting next to him that's had a few beers. And so I think it's important for us as we lay hold of this next passage to see it for what it is. And would you pray with me? Father, we're again grateful that we get to come here. Lord, that we have a, a safe place and that we can come and just read your word and be instructed and have your spirit speak to us. And we pray that that's what would happen. There be none of me and all of you as your word is spoken forth. God, would we receive it? Would we act on it? And would you bless us with your presence in this place tonight? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Luke chapter 12. And in the meantime, so he's focusing back. This remembers a continuing story. All of the Gospels, very much like every book in the Bible. You have chapter breaks and verses and all those kind of things. But really, this is continuing the thought that comes from what we would call chapter 11. And there you might remember that Jesus has spoken to the Pharisees. And you can kind of see it at the end of, of chapter 11, he says these things, the scribes of Pharisees began to vehemently try and figure out a way to trap Jesus. Chapter 12 is in the meantime, when an innumerable number of multitudes or multitudes of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. That's a, that's a real crowd, amen? That sounds like a South American soccer game. You know, where people line up like a half a day in advance and, you know, they're waiting at the gate and they can't wait to get in. They're waiting for something unbelievably striking to touch them. And so they trampled one another. They're jostling. They're, they're running around. They're trying to get seats. They want to get close. Remember, Jesus doesn't have a you know, any type of amplification. So wherever he goes, the closer you are, the more accurately you'll be able to hear him. Uh, There was also a sense that if you got really close, and a lot of times a really powerful teacher, if they, you know, people would sit up as close as they could, hoping they'd get some of the glory from the teacher. Speaking of, don't do that here, by the way, because there's no extra glory. It's just God's word. And it was there that he began to say to his disciples, first of all, So this is a semi-private conversation that said in a very public environment with the intent that those it's actually addressed to, which are the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the people that have been trying to trap Jesus, and you've probably all done this. Somebody's maybe given you some grief, and somebody else has come along, and you kind of go, well, you know, um, Bob over there. And so Jesus is actually speaking in a way that he can be heard by the multitude while he's speaking to the disciples in order to kind of diffuse the situation, but to allow those who really need to hear it to hear it. He says, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, remember, the Pharisees are legalists. These are people who have the law correct. Uh, They know every yot, every tittle. They they can get the punctuation correct. Uh, They're going to rightly divide their mint and their cumin. 
Uh, They're going to be looking for specks in some person's eye while they have a log in their own. They know the truth, but it's in the application of that truth that they have problems. Beware of the leaven, the sin. Without exception throughout Scripture, both these words, both hypocrisy and leaven, are exclusively used in the negative when referring to the human condition. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. You ever said something that you've lived long enough to regret and then you realize that God heard it the first time? Anybody else? I do that every once in a while. You say something, you go, that's right, God heard me the first time. You're like, oh, I probably should have said that differently. There is nothing covered. In other words, when you say things, sometimes we couch our our words, we say things that are intended to go one way, but realistically, God knows exactly why we said them. He knows what we're saying, why we're saying it, the conditions wherein we are saying it. And so he says to them, he says, look, there's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. And therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. So even though you've shaded it, you've shadowed it, you, you've, you've put a little covering over it, ultimately, God hears exactly what you're saying without all the inferences, without all the intonation, without the accusation, without the stuff that you're using to discourage and to, dis, to, to really, really wave your hand over it so that nobody actually can understand what you're getting at. God knows exactly what you're getting at. And what you have spoken in the, in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the housetops. And this is a picture of us whispering. You ever get really close to somebody and go, You do that, right? You've probably all done that. Somebody's in the room, you don't want them to hear, so you get really nice and close, and you give them a very special earful of trash. (laughs) But ultimately, God didn't miss any of the words. And I say to you, (laughs) my friends, and notice this, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do to you. Now, you can see where Jesus is pointing right at the Pharisees, right? Because the only thing the Pharisees can do, the only thing that anyone on this earth can actually do to you, the worst that any human being can do to you ever, as long as you're here, the only thing they can do, the most extreme thing they can do, the worst thing that they can possibly do is take your life. Now, it's a bad thing. I don't want to minimize a loss of life, but Jesus puts it into perspective for us. That's all they can do. That's all they can do. Do you see how Jesus is setting us up to understand that the fear of man is a snare? But I will show you whom you should fear. He says, you're afraid of what people will think. You're afraid of how they'll respond. You're afraid of what they might. You're even afraid they might be able to kill you. But really, that's not where you should place your fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast you into hell. 
the eternal side of the equation. Yes, I say, do you fear him? Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them, not a single sparrow, not the least of the bird kingdom. You know, sparrows are not the most attractive of birds, right? If you've ever seen a sparrow, if you look up boring in the dictionary and anything avian, you'll find the sparrow. Kind of a multi-brown color. Usually the males are a little more um, wonderfully decorated than the females in the bird world. But in this case, the male sparrow is just as boring as the female sparrow. Kind of gives you an idea of where they're, you know, where they're at. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? In other words, if you were going to go in and you were going to offer a sacrifice in the temple... The very least that you could offer was a couple of sparrows. And you could get five of them for a couple of copper coins, a couple of widow's mites. And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. God knows where every last sparrow is. And what's going on in that sparrow's life? And what's happened to that sparrow? He hasn't missed a single sparrow ever. Ever. Think about it. You watch the flocks. Of, you know, we've got some sparrows and starlings and a few of, you know, those lesser types of birds that fly all over the South Bay. And, and, and you look at them and you go, you know, they don't have a very long lifespan. They live a year, year and a half, usually at the very most. You know, there's a lot of sparrows that come and go. And yet God knows where every one of them is. Not one of them is forgotten before God. And then he shifts. And notice he begins to talk about you and I and our place before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And he uses a Greek word here, arithmeo. Arithmeo, from which we get our word arithmetic. But it's, it's to count, to number, and to order. In other words, it's looking at it in an ordinal sense. So when you number something, like if you go into a word processor and you use that little format button and, and you highlight everything and, and then you go up and you hit number and then it gives you, everything's got a number. And then from there on, every time you hit that enter key, what happens? The next thing gets a number, right? It, it bugs you to half to death because you want to stop it and you forget to chop the space down twice and then it cancels out that formatting. But in that sense, every single hair on your head has been ordinally numbered by God. So for me, that's 12. I'm up to 12 now. So God doesn't have much accounting to do. For some of you, it's like millions there's probably a few of you in here, my, I don't know, maybe you have billions of nice fluffy follicles. But God has ordered every last hair on your head to where not only does he not know what happens to the sparrows, he, he knows exactly what happens to the sparrows, but he goes so far as for you because you're his children, his special prized possession, that in an ordinal sense... Counting every last one. There goes number 12 from Jeff. He knows the hairs on your head. They're all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. 
for you are of more value than sparrows. You see, when you look at this correctly, you begin to see what Jesus is talking about. As he puts this into perspective, he's talking about someone making sure that they don't fear man. And then he says, make sure that you do fear God. And while you're in the business of fearing God and understanding who he is, and oh, by the way, he's got you. All that man fearing is unnecessary. If he takes care of sparrows and he orders and places in order all of the hairs on your head, he cares more about you than he does about birds. Don't fear, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. Not just one, but many. And also I say to you, whoever... Now it seems like he changes thought here, but he really doesn't. That's why he uses also, I say to you, therefore whoever confesses me before men, you see how he's tying it now back in to that witness before the world. He's saying, look, for the sake of maybe political correctness, for the sake of not offending someone, for the sake of making sure nobody doesn't really like you, because we all like to be liked, right? I know I do. I like to be liked. He says, be careful because you can become hypocritical. Remember, the picture here is someone who's a hypocrite. He says, also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man shall also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So he's obviously not talking about salvation here. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about fellowship. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. So we're going to look at the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit just a little bit. What is it? Why would it be different than what he's just said? And now when they bring you before the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, notice those are all man's organizations. We could look at it almost as if you come to court. Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so Jesus gives us this little glimpse into the horror of hypocrisy. The original word there that's translated hypocrite um, ultimately became known almost in a singular vein, completely negative, and it was usually actor, but it meant an interpreter of dreams. It was originally neutral, but it became almost exclusively negative. It became duplicitous or insincere. Uh, the Hebrew word actually meant, uh, could mean polluted or even profane. And so what Jesus is saying, look, don't pollute yourself and don't be an actor. Don't be one who claims to be something and then your life doesn't match up because what happens is ultimately you end up in this place to where your true character, your true nature is going to come out. And it happens to, to us. So very often, uh, I think we believe that we may have sufficiently spoken to some area of our own human existence so much so as to pull the wool over God's eyes. It's like he doesn't see the truth. That what we say to people, God also believes. 
God also gets the story. But it's not so. And so this negative connotation, this, this false witness, a, a Hebrew person would have completely understood that it was unnecessary to talk about this uh, because it was one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ninth Commandment is don't bear false witness against your neighbor, right? You're not supposed to have something that, that is a character challenge for you. And so from a Hebrew perspective, Jesus didn't really have to address it, and so he uses the Greek word hypocrite, hypocritus. And so Jesus begins to unload and unwrap this for us. And so he says, look, in the meantime, uh, when a multitude of people have gathered together, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and Jesus is comparing this to yeast. He's comparing it to something that was put into bread, primarily to puff it up with air, right? If you've ever cooked any type of bread without yeast, um, you know that it's kind of similar to a brick in a general sense. And so, and so yeast for baking is a good thing, but yeast in your life where Jesus is using this is a very bad thing because it, it starts out very small. You don't need a lot of yeast, right, when you're baking bread. Matter of fact, a lot of people keep it in the freezer and they kind of have it already mixed up and they let it, you know, get all those nice bacteria growing in there and you put a little bit of that into your dough and the first thing that dough begins to do is what? Rise. And it also, if you know what yeast actually does, it starts to get warm too, doesn't it? It actually has a little bit of a chemical reaction. So it gets hot and gassy. It it begins to inflate. And that air starts to blow it up and puff it up. And before you know it, which is really good for bread, there's not as much substance in a given space. There's a lot of air in that space. And so it makes bread fluffy. It makes people worthless. Because the real you is no longer visible. It's just a bunch of hot air. It's a bunch of puffed upness. You see, it begins to, to fill our lives with things that really aren't the substance of us. The substance of you should have some depth of character. Yeah, that's what Jesus is getting at here. Why is that so absurd? Why is it something that we should avoid, I think, is the, is the question. And you can surely see this in Hollywood. Isn't it crazy how people in Hollywood have some type of a comment on virtually everything? Uh, it has to do with all things of life, and yet they're the most completely disconnected group of people on the entire planet. There's nothing in their life in a general sense that has anything to do with reality, but they step in and they talk about all kinds of things as if what they think matters. You know, you always get the the Hollywood stars and starlets that after some event in our country will say, if this, you know, if so-and-so does this, then I'm moving to China. And I'm always saying, amen, China needs more of you. You know, in the general sense. You know, I'm sorry. But it, yeah, you, you're, you're like, it, it's so hypocritical because these are people whose whole lives are completely unhinged and they're talking as if they're the, the you know, the moral arbiters of everything good and, and wholesome. You see, it's hypocritical. They live their life one way and then when it comes to something important, they speak to the other side. And nobody believes a word they say. At least nobody I know believes a word they say. 
You know, when Johnny Depp comes on TV and starts talking about morality, I'm kind of like, dude, nobody's listening. It's absurd. Now imagine that people try and put one over on God. There's nothing covered that won't be revealed, it says in verse 2. Nothing hidden that won't be known. Whatever you've spoken in the dark, whatever your little dark secrets are, whatever stuff's going on in your life, whatever that conversation you've had where, where you're, you know, you're nice to somebody's face, but behind their back you've slaughtered their character, God sees all that stuff. And eventually it's going to get exposed. You see, we're not supposed to compromise the truth that way. We're supposed to be the same type of people all the time. And so Jesus is simply saying, look, why don't you just let your real light shine right now? Be the real you. Truth's going to be shouted from the rooftop. What causes, what causes us to be hypocritical? Jesus gives us, an incredible picture. He, say, he says, I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. So you can see exactly what he's talking about. It's man-pleasing. Don't be afraid of people. You be afraid of God. Be afraid of the truth. Be afraid of the, the one who could put you away for eternity, which, praise the Lord by grace and through mercy, he's not going to do that. But he could. But isn't it crazy? We're afraid of people who the worst that they can do is kill us, but we're, we have no fear of God. And frankly, I think the fear of God is the thing that we need. We need to have a little bit of healthy fear of God. And that's not the ooh-ah, run around and be scared of God. It's recognize that he's holy and he's righteous and he misses nothing. And, and we wander around living our lives like he's not looking. I need to be concerned about what God is concerned about with regard to my life. And so the basic cause of hypocrisy, I believe, is the fear of man. What people might say, what they might think, what they might do. And so in order to not have that fear of man, we change the message. We stop speaking the truth. We alter what we should say. Instead, we say what we probably ought not say. And most of the time, the Holy Spirit's going, don't say that. And we say it anyway. Because we're afraid of what people are going to say. And unfortunately, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were absolutely more concerned about their reputation, their character, if you will, their character before the world, than what God knew about them. Notice that I was very select in my word. God knows. He knows exactly what's going on. And so when you think about <clears throat> how God's working in your life, the more true you are to the things that God's doing in your life, the more comfortable you are. You can just be bold. You don't, you don't need to change it. I had some unbelievably amazing conversations after service, all, all three services today. Some of them were very positive. A couple were what you would call negative, but they were good. They were good. They were helpful. They were healthy. They were not easy, all of them. But because I had spoken from my heart and I had spoken what I believed to be the truth about God's character and nature and how I think he views some of the things that we wrestle with and struggle with, I didn't have to fear people. I could just say, 
Look, God's word says, quote chapter and verse and let it go. I didn't have to go, well, you know, I don't know, you know, because that was all me. You speak forth the word of God, then you don't have the fear of man. And as Proverbs 29, 25 clearly says, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It's a, it's a thing that can hang you up. And Jesus wanted his disciples to avoid that very snare. And so he's speaking to them in earshot. And the disciples began to, to really at this point in time, they're now beginning to prepare themselves for what's going to happen as Jesus heads towards Jerusalem. Look, there's going to be all kinds of things that are said. There's going to be all kinds of things that are done. And so Jesus says, look, you need to fear the right person, the right thing. And in this case, the one they needed to fear was the Lord. They needed to have the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So if we really fear the Lord, it's actually a good thing. But fearing man makes you do all kinds of dumb things. Hey, all of a sudden, you're wandering around, and you, you have no clue what to do. Because if there's anything I can tell you about humankind, no two people have the exact same opinion about anything. Seriously. Matter of fact, I disagree with myself sometimes. Don't normally admit that to people, but yeah, you, you've, I'm sure you've argued with yourself, haven't you? Haven't most of you had, you know, you kind of think one way on one day and you think another way on another day, and then you go back to the other, the original thought process, and you're working through these things, and you kind of go back and forth? Now imagine that as you're living your life for Christ, you begin to be concerned with everyone's opinions when they don't even agree with themselves on any given day. And they're going back and forth in how they think and respond. And so if you try and change the message every single time someone disagrees with you, or every single time someone brings you some other opinion or thought, I can tell you in a large church, we have a lot of thoughts and opinions. And people are fairly free to share them with me. And I just actually appreciate that. It doesn't really bother me that much. But I can tell you this, if every time that happens, I start trying to be a man-pleaser, and I start changing the message, and it's one thing to this person, and it's another thing to the next person, and I get away from what this says, I'm going to be a dead man in about 30 seconds, metaphorically speaking. So I just speak the truth of what God's Word says. And it keeps me from being hypocritical. I'm worried about what God thinks about what I said. And so if I can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I believe... My heart does not convict me that I spoke the truth. Then I can walk, wander around free from that, that fear because I have the right kind of fear. I fear God. And he describes this by, by reminding us, look, if I've taken the time, I've taken the care to number the hairs on your head, and I know what happens to every single sparrow that's ever existed on the face of this. I know where they all spent their days, and they spent their nights, and they ended their existence. I know what happened to every last one of them. Don't you think that I can take care of people? Don't you think that I can square away those little differences and things that are maybe opinion, maybe they're even factual, but maybe somebody needs an attitude adjustment? Because as human beings, we need our attitudes adjusted every once in a while, don't we? I do. I get going the wrong way every once in a while. You know, I'll be thinking a specific direction, and the Lord will bring someone into my life, and they'll speak something to me. And I go, you know what? I maybe should have said that a little differently. 
and the Lord adjusts the way that the, the tempo of our lives go, and he knows who we are, and he knows exactly what's going on. So we don't need to be people pleasers. We need to be God pleasers. And that's the message in this, in this particular passage. Our God has it all under control. He, he's, he's marked it all down. Jesus was trusting God all the way on the Calvary Road. Jesus trusted God in Gethsemane. Jesus trusted God at Gabbatha. Jesus trusted his Father God at Golgotha. He trusted Father God in the grave, and he trusted God to get him to glory. And we need to be trusting God. And stop being so concerned with what people might possibly think. And then adjusting our lives. It makes us hypocritical. You'll be saying one thing one day, and you'll say something the next day. He says, don't do that. Stay away from it. Just fear God. Be concerned about what God thinks. So he he reminds us of the truth of that by saying, look, all the men can do is kill your body. But God's a righteous judge, and he's the eternal judge. And so he can actually do something with your soul. Now, praise God for grace, amen? Oh, how I love the grace of God. Because I'm glad I don't have to earn all this stuff. It just comes to me as a free gift. But the truth of the matter is God does have it all nailed down. And so that grace that you've received that is that saving grace is also the keeping grace. It's that grace that keeps you going the right direction. And that's not perfection on your part. That's perfection on his part. That's Jesus Christ alone died for our, died for our sins, paid for them. And so as we work through the details of life, we know he's got us. He cares for us. And so we can simply do our very best to please God and love people. Please God and love people. Speak the truth of God in the grace of God. And sometimes people are going to love you for it. Sometimes they're not. But you please God and love people. And ultimately, you also love God, of course. But we want to please God. We want to live our lives in such a way that when the Lord has that accounting of our lives, he says, wow, this is awesome. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Well, this one you said this but did that. And we want to avoid the type of holiness that we see, you know, in the, in the world of, of movies. You know, people who act, people who put on a show, people who play a character. Isn't it always interesting when you see people in Hollywood who maybe, you know, have a specific character that they're famous for, and then you meet them in real life and they are nothing like the movie character, right? You know, you, you see someone who plays you know, some, some type of biblical character, and then you find out that not only do they not believe in the Lord, they're actually, you know, an atheist or something. You know, it's completely hypocritical. They're making money from playing a part out of the Bible, but when it comes to living life, they don't do it. That's hypocrisy. That's what the Lord's talking about. He says, make sure that whatever you're doing in word and in deed, do all to the glory of the Lord. And there you'll have that right type of understanding and so he says, look, why don't you make sure that you openly confess Christ? We, we need to do that in a, really here in this world. And as we do it in this world, of course, that translates and awaits us. That confession that you make here awaits you there. 
But how many Christians, when, when you meet them, when you talk to them, if you were to not meet them here, it'd be an interesting study, I think, if we, you know, had the capacity to kind of, you know, somehow we radio, you know, we microchipped everybody or something, kind of like you can do your pets. You know, you have that little chip that's in your dog or your cat or whatever. And, and, and if they ever get lost, it can't really scan them from very far, but they can actually scan the little chip that's in there, and they can tell where they live and, you know, what their names are and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine if you're wandering around, you kind of had your little scanner, and, it, you know, every time you got near somebody from Calvary Chapel South Bay, a little, <laughs> another Calvary Chapel South Bay person. You go sit down next to them in the restaurant and listen to their conversation. What would you find out? What would you hear? Or if you went with them to the movie theater and you got in line behind them. Eh. Hmm. Says they teach Sunday school. think that's a pretty disgusting R-rated movie. You see, what's your testimony? What, what's going on in your life? You see, that's hypocritical. You're teaching kids about Jesus, but what you're taking in up here doesn't say the same thing. Now, can I tell you, God actually sees that exactly that way. He's not fooled. And so the Lord's saying, look, you need to be concerned with what God thinks. I want to really be careful here because obviously this is not talking about being saved by what you do. It's simply saying that the testimony that you make with your mouth should be borne out in the way that you live your life. And man, how that would change our world. If people heard us speak of the Lord in church and then saw us live for the Lord in the world, what a difference that would make. How that would transform the way they understand God. Because remember, that's how they're getting their understanding of who God is. They watch you. They watch me. They watch us. They listen to you. They, they listen to us. They hear those conversations that we're making. They see you pray. Connie and Austin and I were in, we were in Hoff's hut. We're having breakfast. And, you know, we're, we're praying. We, we pray. You know, we don't, we don't just... Thank you, Jesus, for food. Amen. We don't do that kind of thing. You know, we'll pray about whatever's on our heart, and sometimes it takes a little more time than others. And, you know, we looked up, and we look over, and there's another couple doing exactly the same thing, another family praying, and they're doing the same thing. They're not cutting it short. They're, they're, they're not sitting there, well, I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, the, the waiter, the waitress may come back over, and they might bring our food, and, you know, they'll be standing at our table, and, wow, they'll think we're weird. Oh, I pray in Jesus' name. They think that we're absolutely weird. And then they ask us why we're weird. Well, I love Jesus. And he saved my life. He purchased my life. You want to know him? And it's not about those little times when you and I struggle. I love I love, because it's so encouraging for us as the church, the story of Peter. Because you know where it says that the angels will be, you know, filled in on on what goes on here on the earth uh, about you and I and how we 
speak or do not speak for the Lord. Man, I think Peter could tell us about that, couldn't he? Imagine when you get there and, you know, this brave, this boisterous, this bold Peter that says, Lord, man, if everyone else denies you, I will never deny you. That was Peter's testimony for about 30 seconds. And Jesus said, Peter, 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 you know, before the rooster crows three times in the morning, I'm telling you, you're going to deny me three times. That's exactly what Peter did. So we know that Jesus wasn't talking about losing your salvation because after you become a believer, you have that period of doubt or you do something dumb or your witness doesn't match up with, with the way that your, your walk should. And you do something that people look at and it's like, man, that can't be from the Lord. But it is saying we should be concerned with it. Peter denied the Lord three times. He hurried off to some dark place, no doubt wept his heart out in sorrow and in shame. But the Lord hunted Peter down, didn't he? And I said, Peter, I forgive you. It's okay. You see, the grace that saves is the grace that keeps. Don't forget that the grace that saves is the grace that keeps. The grace that saved you is sufficient to get you home. But we should do everything that we can to make sure that the Lord is, is in view in our lives all the time. Every waking moment. And so to that end, Jesus gives a little bit of a warning here. And so he says, if anyone speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. In other words, there were people that were going to bring a case against Jesus. And they were going to be many, and they were going to be varied, and and including one of his disciples that was sitting with him. Judas was still in the crowd. Judas is sitting there with Jesus when he says these things. He's offering, in essence, even forgiveness to Judas. He said, you can even speak against the Son of Man, and it'll be forgiven you. If you repent, you turn to the Lord, it'll be forgiven. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And so what's what's Jesus getting at? You see, there comes a point in time in our lives that there's a great peril that we need to be careful of. And, And we talk about it in the sense of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that's what Jesus is getting at. And, and, and so he says, look, you need to be really careful. Because in your life, there comes a point in time when you'll begin to deny, not just me, but you'll deny the finished work that is that work that was done, that, that saving grace. You'll, you'll begin to explain away salvation. And I have had the unfortunate opportunity to talk to people who've gotten to that place including some former pastors who sit down and begin to blaspheme the finished work of Jesus Christ and it usually falls along these lines well that's fine but it doesn't apply to me that word that's spoken doesn't you 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 don't know about my situation yeah but the word of the Lord says this And they go down that path of denying that the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. 
And what Scripture says, Scripture says. And at that work that's done, we understand because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We actually understand God's plan of salvation because of what God's Word says. That's the chief way we understand that. And so they begin to deny that work that's happened by the Holy Spirit in their own lives. There are three times that we see in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is blasphemed. One of them was prior to the Lord's death, his burial, his resurrection. That sin uh, was seeing the Lord perform miracles. You saw it in the Pharisees. You saw it in the Sadducees. They saw the Lord do things that could only be attributed to God, and they denied that work. That was finished when Jesus went to the cross. There's another one that's going to happen that's future to us tonight. And that'll be when uh, the beast sets up his kingdom. Uh, He announces, look, the only way you can buy and sell, and and we're going to put a mark on your forehead or on your right hand, and and that's the only way that you're going to be able to meet your family's needs. And there will be people alive at that point in time who will deny the work that's going on in their life of the Holy Spirit, and they will follow after the beast. Very intentional things. But there's only one other, and I believe that's just simply the sin of unbelief, denying the finished work of the cross, that there is some other way uh, that God is going to redeem mankind. There, there's some other plan. And, and, and it really boils down to just taking God at his word. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And for those who hear that message and they ponder it in their heart and they come to the conclusion that no, um, no, there's another way. You're denying the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Now, to what extent that becomes permanent, I don't think any of us on this earth knows. But I know this, you don't want to mess around with the truth. When God shows you the truth, our obligation before the Lord is to respond to the truth. And some people don't want to hear the truth. And they reject that truth. And the longer you reject it, the worse it gets. And so he's saying, look, don't sin against the Holy Spirit. Don't commit that unpardonable sin. Don't reject what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. Don't get to that place to where you're tempted to believe there's some other way. Basically, Don't be hypocritical. Don't live your life one way and think that it's going to result in salvation when you haven't received his grace. That principle, though it applies to us today, I think very few people ever get to that place. And Jesus says to them, he says, look, what you really need to be concerned with is when you get hauled to the synagogues or to the magistrates, you get hauled into court, you know, you're, you're going to be asked some questions. You don't need to worry about it because that's proof positive the Holy Spirit's working in you. You're going to have an answer for those who, who speak. We saw that in Stephen's life. You know, it's incredible. It's Paul's life as well. He didn't sit around and plan what he was going to say when he was hauled before the, the magistrates. He he, he did his studying to show himself an approved workman, right? Dividing the word of truth. But he, he didn't worry about what the world thought. And that's the picture here. We don't need to worry about what the world thinks. We need to worry about what the Lord thinks. And so in all these things, the Lord's just simply reminding us, look, when you know truth, live truth. 
And when you live truth, live it without reservation. Don't, don't hold back. Be the same thing all day, every day. Make sure that you're, you're who you are here in church. You're that person when you go home. You're that person at work. The truth that you declare here, declare that truth everywhere that you go. Be a person of conviction. You know, sometimes a lot, you know, people will ask me, well, you know, how do you know these? Well, the Holy Spirit does give you answer. He's not talking about not studying here. I need to study to show myself an approved workman who rightly divides the word of truth. That's a call on me as a pastor, 2 Timothy 2.15 remind us, reminds us of that. But you know what? I don't study for everybody's prayer requests. I, I don't run around making long lists of things. That's where the Holy Spirit has to give me utterance for the things that the Holy Spirit wants to say to people's lives. And so in one sense, in the pulpit, you know, if I don't know what I'm going to say five minutes before I get up here, uh, you're probably not going to remember what I said five minutes after I leave from up here. There is some place for, the, for me to do some yeoman work and for you when you have opportunity to teach to do the same thing. But there are times in your life when the Holy Spirit's just simply going to speak to you. And so don't worry about those times. You don't have to always have a prepared answer because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the ways that you can actually see God at work in you. And I think most of you that walk with the Lord for any length of period of time, you've had those, those things where you don't have a clue and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just speaks into your life and you're like, I don't know where that came from, but I just got this from God. That's because you haven't denied the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit's at work. And you are who you are. And so God works in you and to you and through you. And you have that lack uh, of any type of hypocrisy. You're just real. You're just open. You just are who you are. You may not be perfect. But you are pleasing. And that's what we want to be. We want to be pleasing to the Lord. Amen? Can have the worship team come back up. So in closing, make sure... Just be real. Be real. Be who you are. I'll have some of the pastors come forward. Maybe you've had some areas in your life to where you just kind of feel like, man, I, I haven't, I've been one thing here at church, but I've been something else somewhere else. Maybe you've got a little bit of that hypocritical nature in you to where, you know, all you can do is kind of complain about things or, or maybe you've got a problem with an attitude or some action that's that's kind of befallen you and you explain it away as if it's someone else's fault you know one of the things that, that's so freeing in our lives as believers is to just own the stuff that's ours and let god have it and admit that you know we don't have it all together all the time but there are things in our lives that can use some work and so as the pastors come forward and are available for prayer, if you need prayer for some area of your life, feel free to come forward and be prayed for. We're going to do a couple more worship songs, and, and then we're going to close in prayer. Okay? Let's worship. Pastors, come on up. The rest of you, be in prayer. The Lord put something on your heart. Come be prayed for or pray with.